All right, Genesis chapter 37. We are looking at the life of Joseph. And last week as we started into chapter 37, I don't want to completely do a review, but just a quick reminder, Jacob and his family were living in the land of Canaan. And we said that the problem with that was not that that was not part of the promised land that God wanted his people to occupy, but it was the place where instead of the Israelites influencing the Canaanites, the Canaanites were influencing the Israelites. And so God was going to separate his people from the Canaanites for 400 years in Egypt. And because the Egyptians were not going to want to have anything to do with the Israelites, it was going to be 400 years where they were going to be a purified people of God while in slavery there in Egypt. Again, as we said last week, God wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. And we need to make sure that as we are in the world, that we do not become like the world, but we remain distinct from the world and that we are an influence upon them, not the other way around. Then we saw Joseph's family. And we said, look, this is obviously an example of a very dysfunctional family, but guess what? We all are part of a dysfunctional family because there's no, not one of us that doesn't have some issues, some baggage, some family situations uh, that we either grew up with or are dealing with throughout our lives. And yet we see through the account of Joseph that God was going to use Joseph And that Joseph was going to be a great servant of God in spite of or despite the the challenges that were presented to him by his own family. Remember, he was part of a family that had 11 other brothers. And this was from four different women, two wives and two concubines of Jacob. Uh, This was also uh, a situation where because uh, of the situation that that Jacob presented of favoring Joseph over the other brothers. It created tension and jealousy and envy in the family to the point where Joseph obviously uh, committed a great uh, wrong as a parent by showing favoritism. That only caused his favorite son more pain. And um, then it created that, that hatred of his own brother's. And yet what we are going to see, as we saw last week, through the life of Joseph, is that again, we cannot control the circumstances that we are presented with, but we can control how we respond to them. And God is seeing if I'm going to do that tonight. You know, me. Um, the, the other thing that, that we see here is that, again, Joseph overcame all that because he remained faithful to the Lord. One of the great principles that comes out of Genesis 37 through 50, the chapters that give us the life of Joseph, is that if we will remain faithful to God, we will be able to overcome the obstacles and challenges that life presents to us. You and I just need to remain faithful to God. That's what Joseph did. Anytime something happened, he remained faithful to God, and God continued to move him down the road that he had planned for him. I want to go back uh, just to pick this up because I didn't mention this last week. 
Uh, in verse 3, when we talked about the fact that, you know, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son born late in life, and he made him this special tunic. It was a robe, it was a coat, it was a garment. And we talked a little bit about that being, you know, a, a robe of distinction and something obviously that set Joseph apart from his brothers. But it was, it was also obviously not a robe or a garment for a working man. And it was sort of separating Joseph as the white-collar individual from his brothers who were going to be the blue-collar individuals. And it, again, it was going to create very much tension there. But I want to go back to this idea of, of having a robe or a garment, if you will. Because as I thought about, you know, Joseph had this, this robe of many colors, this, this coat of distinction on him. I got to thinking about, about the distinctive sort of clothing and garments that you and I should be wearing as children of God. You know, Paul told the Roman Christians in Romans 14, 12 to put on the Lord Jesus every day. And so in a sense, you and I should be, you know, putting on Jesus Christ every day and literally wearing Jesus wherever we go. And if we do that as Christians, obviously that's going to uh, dis, uh, differentiate us and distinguish us from, from others. Another sort of garment uh, or piece of clothing, if you will, that we are to put on every day as the children of God is the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul told the Ephesians that as Christians, every day we should put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And then finally, in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, in chapter 61, verse 2, he tells us to put on every day the garment of praise to God. So, we have sort of things to wear as well. And, and it should mark us, if you will, as those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you tonight. You may not have a coat of many colors to put on to distinguish you from others. But you and I, as the children of God, can put on the Lord Jesus every day. We can put on the full armor of God every day. And we can put on the garment of praise every day. Then it says... In verse 4, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him even more and were not able to speak to him kindly or in a friendly manner. Then, verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And as we said last week, this dream was a revelation from God with prophetic meaning for Joseph. It was a way for God to communicate to Joseph some of his plan and purpose for Joseph's life. And I want to stop here tonight because I didn't bring this out last week, but I think it's an important point for us. Why did God choose Joseph and not the other 11 brothers? Well, I think we can get some insight into that. Keep your finger there in Genesis 37 and go over to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. To 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is the story of David. And why this is sort of similar in some ways is because just like in David's case, 
Joseph was not the eldest son. And David, obviously, was not the eldest in his family either. And it doesn't mean that God always then just automatically chooses the youngest. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is this. God doesn't go by the way that the world goes or that, that people think the expectations should go and, and how we normally do things and all of that. You know, obviously, in that day and age, in a family, eldest son would have been the, the one of, of honor and the one chosen. But notice what God said to Samuel whenever he was to anoint uh, the next king in Israel after Saul. And he's going down through all of, of, of the brothers here. And in verse 7, here's the verse that I wanted to show you tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Because it's an important biblical principle. And that is this. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't be impressed by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. See? This was one of David's brothers. He wasn't the one. Even though God said, if you were to look at him outwardly, he's got it all, you know. He's got the skills, and he's got this, and he's got that. And yet, notice, God goes on to say, I don't view things the way men do. People tend to look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's why he chose David And that's why he chose to reveal himself to Joseph. Not because of anything outwardly, but because God was able to look at the heart and see where their heart was with him. Was their heart truly with God? See, today, and and this is why I think this is important, is today, even in churches, even in ministries, even amongst Christians, we have the tendency to adopt the sort of worldly way of choosing people uh, in a church, whether it's leadership or service or whatever. We choose people predominantly by outward things. Their skill level, their, their abilities, their talents, and all of these things that are outwardly. But we never take time to think about what's the condition of their heart? And where are they spiritually speaking, you see? And, and that's more important to God than anything else that someone could bring externally. That's why God gave this revelation to Joseph back in chapter 37. And then keep your finger in Genesis 37 and just travel over with me again to another Old Testament book, the book of First Chronicles, just over a few books through... Or I'm sorry, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter 16 and verse 9. I love this verse. Certainly the Lord watches the whole earth carefully and is ready to strengthen those who are devoted to Him. Those whose hearts are His. God sees, God observes carefully... The eyes of the Lord, another translation says, runs to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are His. And we see that here 
in David's case, and we see that here back in Genesis 37 in Joseph's case. Now, it didn't mean, obviously, that Joseph nor David didn't have some maturing to do, didn't have some growing to do, didn't have some rough edges that needed to be sort of sanded down. Absolutely. And that's why God was going to take David through the path that he did until he set him on the throne. And that's why God was going to take Joseph through the path that he did before he ascended to be second only to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. So back to Genesis 37. God gave Joseph a dream. And the Bible says in verse 5, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. When you and I are excited about the things that God is doing in our life and about the things that we are being illuminated to in His Word and all of these things, it can excite us. But as we said last week, please be aware of this. Sometimes when God is working in our life and calling us to things and doing things in our life, other people, including our own family, aren't necessarily always on board. They don't get as excited about it sometimes as we do. And we've got to be careful that we don't get discouraged and disillusioned that just because, you know, God has excited us about something that we think everybody around us, all of our family and friends are going to get excited about it too. That's not usually the case. Usually, God is going to see, first of all, are we going to follow Him and just keep following Him regardless of whether we have a lot of support around us at that point or not? And I'll say this, getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think it's important for us as Christians to remember this. First of all, I think you should pay attention to the working of God in your life. And know that if you truly have a heart that, that is His, God will reveal Himself more and more to you. And I believe that He will give you dreams. And, and yet, I, I want you to take from the life of Joseph that, that one of the reasons why God calls us to live a life of faith and to walk by faith and not by sight is just like with Joseph. There will come points in our journey before we actually realize that dream, just as Joseph did, that it will appear like our dream died. I call it the death of our dream. And you and I have to be willing to continue again to be faithful to God and to walk with Him even through that sort of valley of the death of our dream where it doesn't look like we're ever going to realize what we felt God had placed into our heart. And God is doing that to strengthen us and to grow us and to stretch us and to prepare us that once we finally do realize that, we're actually going to be in a stronger and better position for it. So don't be discouraged tonight. If you feel like God is working and yet you feel like with Joseph, man, God, I felt like you, you led me to do this or that you gave me this dream and, and you were leading me down this way, but... My goodness, God, I, I feel like I'm running up against obstacle after obstacle and challenge after challenge. And when you think of the life of Joseph, you think about this guy who now is in a few minutes going to get sold into slavery to Egypt by his own brothers. And then once he gets there, yeah, he starts to, it looks like, oh, okay, I, I finally can see where my dream is going to be realized. And then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. And it's like, oh my goodness, there goes the death of my dream again. 
And then he starts to get a little bit of hope back whenever the baker and the butler are there in prison with him. And he's thinking, okay, I can leverage this relationship. I can talk to these guys. And when they get back to Pharaoh, you know, one of the... The guy forgets about me and I have to spend even more time. And then finally, finally someone remembers me. And finally it looks like I'm going to get out of prison. You see, I believe that God will give us things that that He wants us to begin to go after in our lives and begin to lead us down a path, but we won't necessarily realize that maybe for months or years. And we may go through periods in our life just like Joseph where it might appear like this dream is never going to be realized. I, I, I'm, it's dead. No. God wants us to walk by faith and trust in Him and remain faithful to Him in each and every twist and turn as we go towards that dream. Be a dreamer. First of all, give your heart to God. When you and I give our heart to God, because God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. When you and I give our heart to God, God will begin to work and reveal more of Himself and illuminate more of who He is and His plan and His purposes in our life. God just wants us to faithfully follow him as Joseph did. So notice again in verse 6, Joseph says, listen to this dream I had. Really? The the word listen is an interesting word because it means be interested in this. Really, Joseph? You want your brothers who hate you to be interested in what God's doing in your life? Especially when it comes to he reveals this. Verse 7, there we were, brothers, binding sheaves of grain in the middle of the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright and your sheaves surrounded my sheaf and bowed down to it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's really going to get those brothers, right? And again, I talked about this last week where I think, again, this shows where Joseph needed to grow, where Joseph needed to mature. Because taking the situation, this probably wasn't the wisest move on Joseph's part to share this at this time with his brothers. Because he knew how his brothers already felt about him. And this was only, as we say, putting gasoline on that fire that already existed. I will point this out. In this dream, this revelation that God gives to Joseph, notice something. It deals with sheaves of grain. God, in a sense, is foreshadowing the fact that that part of what Joseph is going to be involved in has to do with bread. Has to do with grain. Has to do with preserving a people through a famine. Now again, Joseph doesn't know anything about this. Obviously his brothers could care less about this. But God again is giving him little snippets of what is going to happen way down the road that God now is already moving him towards and preparing him for. Again, not that it's going to be an easy road. But it's a road that God wants Joseph to just follow him on. Then his brothers ask in verse 8, do you really think you're going to rule over us or have dominion over us? And so they hated him even more because of his dream and because of what he said. I want to point this out at this point. Notice something else here. God knows who to give leadership to. God knows who to call to be leaders. Why? Because when God is finished preparing his leaders, they will be in a position where they don't use their leadership position to, to dominate and, and to, to subjugate, you know, the people around them. They use that leadership position 
to serve other people. That's what Joseph was going to do. Why was God eventually going to get Joseph in the, in the position in Egypt to be only under Pharaoh as far as his power and authority? Not so Joseph could start ordering people around and telling everybody what to do. It was so that Joseph could be there and have this plan through the wisdom of God to save back during the seven years of plenty that were going to come, enough grain that when this devastating famine was going to come for seven years, not only would the Egyptians be saved through it, but Joseph's own family and people, the Israelites, would be saved through it. And God had that plan all along. That's where God is looking for people that once I put you in that position, don't use it to serve yourself. Use it to serve others, you see. Why, why were his brothers you know, rejected by God? Because we can obviously see where they were. The language that they used here towards their brother Joseph was all about, you know, ruling and, and dominating and all of that. That's all they saw leadership as. All they saw leadership position uh, was, was what we get out of it and what we can make other people do. That's what a lot of people do today as far as looking at leadership. It's all about the position, it's all about power, it's all about prestige, and you have this same tendency even in the local church, where you have people who aspire, you know, to be leaders, but they have a warped view of what leadership really is. Even though Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Thank God for all the servants here at the Oasis. Thank God for the kind of leaders we have at every level because I believe we have servant leaders here. People who are not in the positions that they are in to somehow rule and reign over other people. They are there to bless others. They are there to benefit others. They are there to minister to others. They are there to use that to serve others. And that's the kind of leaders God is looking for. And that's why God was going to put Joseph in that position. Then he had another dream, verse 9, and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. You'd think by now they'd have slapped him silly, right? <laughs> like, we're going we're gonna to break your jaw or something. You can't talk anymore because we are tired of hearing this. But for some reason, they just let him go on. Look, he said, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him or chided him, saying, What is this dream that you had? Will I, your mother, and your brothers really come and bow down to you? And again, even his own father, Jacob, had a warped view of leadership. Because the, the wording that Joseph uses when he talks about the, the fact of them bowing down and, and this position that God's going to give him deals more with being an advisor, being a consultant, being a counselor. Again, being in that position to help someone he isn't saying, oh, I'm really going to get, you know, get off on having you guys, you know, bow down to me. He wasn't coming across that way like, this is going to give me pleasure. He was looking at this more from the way it should be looked at. That you're going to come to me for help because you're going to need help. But God's going to put me in a position where I'm going to be able to help you. You see, they didn't look at it that way. And neither did his father. So then it says in verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. And his father, though, kept these things in mind, literally reserved or preserved them in the back of his mind. And we know that jealousy and envy 
can just do unbelievable damage in our lives. It's one of those things that the Bible talks a lot about that we, we've got to be careful that we don't allow jealousy and envy to get into our lives because when it gets rooted into our lives, it can destroy our spiritual life. And God doesn't want us to be envious or jealous of anyone else. And so there were his brothers in that position. When his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, Israel or Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come and I will send them to you. And notice Joseph's response in verse 13. And here you can again see a little bit of that servant leadership already there as a 17-year-old. When he says to his father, I'm ready. Literally in the Hebrew, it's here I am. What do you want, dad? Just tell me what to do and I'll, I'll do it. I am ready and willing. I'm here, Dad. I'm listening. I'm ready to obey. It's sort of a similar response that, that the prophet Isaiah had after he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he saw the majesty and glory of God. And, and God then is saying, you know, who are we going to send? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Send me. This was Joseph. Again, reminds us of the kind of attitude that we should have. When we hear, you know, the, the voice of God in our lives, and as we even talked about Sunday again, when God is speaking to us, let's not harden our hearts. Let's not be stubborn or inflexible or refuse to hear what God says. Let's come with the attitude of, God, you're speaking, I'm listening, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? And that was Joseph here with his own father. Jacob said to him, come now. Check on the welfare of your brothers and of the flocks and bring me word. So Jacob sent him from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph reached Shechem, a man found him wandering in the field. So the man asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are grazing their flocks. The man said, they left this area for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now Joseph's brothers saw him from a distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They conspired to kill him. As you and I go through this short series on the life of Joseph, I'd like to give you a, an assignment. As you read and study chapters 37 through 50 of the book of Genesis, see to, if you can find the, the parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. Joseph is one of those Bible characters that is a, a, a type of Christ in that a, a lot of, of what Joseph went through in his life, you can parallel that to the life of Jesus. And you see that even at the beginning here. Joseph was greater than his brothers, but Joseph was envied uh, by his brothers, if you will. Uh, there was a lot of jealousy and envy when it came to Jesus. And, and then Jesus' own people conspired to, to kill him and to deal treacherously with him. We could go on and on as we go through, but as you think about that, see if you maybe do your own little study on the similarities between Joseph's life and the life of Jesus. So it says they plotted to kill him. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this master of dreams or this dreamer. People don't like dreamers. P people don't, don't like those people 
that have a clear direction from God and, and know where they're headed and lock into it and go after it. Because again, why? Because many people, even other Christians or people of God, just like Joseph's brothers, they don't have any clarity of direction in their life. They're just taking the sheep from this place to that place and they're wandering around. And, and it all goes back to, would God have worked through them like He did Joseph? Absolutely. But their heart wasn't God's. Their heart was given to other things. And so they weren't ready to go after the things that were valued to God. So verse 20, Come now, let's kill him, throw him into one of the cisterns or pits, and then say that a wild animal ate him. Then we'll see how his dreams turn out. Boy, nice brothers, right? Yeah, they always say, oh, you know, family looks out for each other? Not always. Not always. Sometimes family turns on each other. And that was true in Joseph's life. His own brothers turned against him and plotted to murder him. And then to cover it up. See, again, just like we learned back in the first couple chapters of Genesis with Adam and Eve. When you and I sin and we know we're doing something wrong, then we always have to do something to cover it up. And then the cover-up starts, and then the cover-up just has to be perpetuated, and then it takes all this energy to keep covering up this thing back here. I mean, think again of David and his cover-up of his sin. This is the way sin works. And this is why God warns us about going down that path uh, separated from Him. Because not only do we have that sin to deal with, but then we spend our whole life having to try to cover up the things that we've done rather than, as God even told Adam and Eve, let me provide a covering for you. Acknowledge what you've done. Take responsibility for it. And let me provide the covering for you. This was certainly true of Joseph's brothers. And again, did they have any thought for God? No. Because notice they said, well, we're going to kill him, cover it up, and then we'll see how his dreams turn out. In other words, in their minds, we're in control. We're the ones that's going to define Joseph's life. No. As I said last week, don't let anyone else, including yourself, define your life. Who you are, what you will become. Let God alone define your life and what you will be and what you will become. Because in this case, they gave no thought to, well, but maybe God, you know, or but God, maybe God will intervene. Never gave any thought to that. We're going to have the last word. No, the brothers, you're not going to have the last word. God always has the last word. And as we saw last week in Genesis chapter 50, even Joseph said at the very end of this story, you plan to injure me. You plan to harm me as my brothers. But God intended it. God planned to make something beautiful out of your ugliness towards me. God was going to bring something of profit and benefit and advantage to others and to me through your ugliness. And that's what you and I have to cling to. That's what you and I have to trust in. That when others seek to harm us and hurt us and injure us, God always is going to have the last word. 
And we just have to remain faithful to Him and trust Him and let Him begin to bring His purposes out. And God will take the ugliness that other people do to us and bring something beautiful out of it, both in our lives and to benefit the lives of others. That's the story of Joseph. Now, Reuben, the oldest, when he heard this, he freaked out. He rescued Joseph from their hands saying, let's not take his life. Because Reuben felt as the oldest, he was going to be the one held responsible by his father for what happened to Joseph. And he was planning on rescuing him later on. Verse 23, when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic. That was the thing. It was like, that was the mark of distinction. That, that was the thing that, that really bothered them is him wearing that all the time and just sort of rubbing their noses in it. And so they took great pleasure in stripping that off of him. And then it says, they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. When they sat down to eat their food. Wow, really? They've just thrown their brother in a pit. They're going to murder him and cover it up. And it doesn't act like this is bothering them at all. Now we're hungry. We're going to eat. How can they be so casual? How can they be so callous? Because again, their hearts aren't right before God. It's like today, we, you know, you and I, if we're, if we're in alignment with God, some of the things we hear and see that people are doing to one another in the world, we go, how could they ever treat other people like that? And how could they do it so casually and so callously? They hurt other people and they act like it doesn't even bother them. Yeah, you're right. That goes back to the very beginning of humanity. That's what happens when we sin rather than choose righteousness. It makes us very insensitive. It makes us very cold. It makes us very calloused. We forget how it's going to affect others. And all we begin to care about is ourselves. And that was Joseph's brother's. So they saw this caravan, this traveling company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and there the camels were carrying spices, balm, and myrrh down to Egypt. And Judah says to his brothers, what profit, because there it is, just like today, hey guys, you know what, if we just kill him and cover it up, we're not going to gain anything materially. Let's think about how we can profit from this. It's always about money, right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul says in 1 Timothy. And again, that goes back to the beginning of time, even in the book of Genesis. If we kill our brother and cover it up, cover up his blood, what gain, what profit, what material increase are we going to get from that? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Now today, we have an epidemic in our world, and it's called human trafficking where human beings are literally just sold like commodities and possessions by people. Guess what? Joseph may have been the first person that ever experienced human trafficking. And at least it's recorded in the Bible. Because his brothers simply looked at him as a possession, as a commodity. They didn't look at their own brother as a real human being. They looked at their brother simply as someone that they could get some money out of. And that's why people are involved in human trafficking today. Because they have no 
sensitivity or thought for a human being and the value and worth of an individual human being, all they look at is, this person can get me some money. I can gain from this. I can make material gain from the buying and selling of human beings. And that's why human trafficking is so rampant today all over the world. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20, notice, verse 28, 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for a few more, but it was a pittance. That's all they thought their brother was worth. 20 pieces of silver. I think if you equate that to today, it's like 30-some dollars or something like that. It's, it's not very much. And so the Ishmaelites then took Joseph to Egypt. Well, you can close there, but just in closing, turn with me to Psalm 105 as we close out our study tonight. Psalm 105. As I was doing my studies through the Psalms that ended up in the digging into Psalm book, I came across these verses about Joseph years ago and was reminded of them as I studied this. And I wanted to read these to you as we closed out tonight because I think that they will be an encouragement to you. Notice Psalm 105, verse 17. He sent a man ahead of them. Who sent? God did. Who's God talking about here? Who was he sending? Joseph. God had a plan. He was one day going to save a lot of people and he was going to use Joseph to do it. So God sent Joseph ahead. God had a plan and purpose for Joseph. But notice again, right now, Joseph isn't feeling too good. Because notice what it goes on to say. Joseph was sold as a servant. The shackles hurt his feet. His neck was placed in an iron collar until the time when God's prediction or dreams for Joseph came true and the Lord's Word proved him right. I want to encourage you tonight. God may have a plan to send you ahead for something. And right now, you're going through it. Right now, what you're dealing with isn't a real enjoyable time. You might feel like Joseph, like, man... I'm, I'm getting hit. I'm getting challenged. I'm, I might not be as bad as Joseph and have an iron collar around my neck and have shackles on my feet, but man, I, I'm going through it. Stay faithful. Keep trusting the Lord. Don't give up on the dream and the working that God is doing in your life because as the psalmist says here, one day, because Joseph stood on the word and promises of God, he was proven right. Because the Lord's word was proven right. And when you and I stand on the word of God, we are standing on solid ground. The most solid ground that you and I could ever stand on. And even today, folks, in our world, we are laughed at. We are ridiculed as Christians. We are criticized. We are made fun of. People think we are fools. And we are fools for Christ. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. I'm a fool for Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? I'm glad I'm a fool for Jesus Christ. 
Because one day, you and I who stand on the Word of God and who stand with Jesus Christ are going to be vindicated and proven right because Jesus Christ is going to be vindicated and proven right. And those who may laugh at us now and think we are fools for giving up our lives for Jesus Christ will one day laugh at us no longer when we are glorified for all of eternity with Jesus. Stand on the Word of God and trust in that Word and cling to that Word no matter what you go through. Even if you feel like Joseph, I'm, I feel like, like a piece of garbage right now. I don't feel like I'm worth anything right now. My family doesn't want to have anything to do with me. I have no friends. I feel like I'm walking alone. I feel like the pressure is closing in on me. Continue to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and His promises in His Word. One day, what He has said to you will be proven right and you stand on that Word until the end. Let's pray. God, thank You for the life of Joseph. A life that can give us such encouragement and inspiration and motivation thousands of years later. And God, even though I'm sure that what he was going through as a very young man had to be extremely difficult to be rejected by his own family, to be sold as a slave into Egypt, just as a commodity, as a possession, had to hurt him deeply. And to walk along that long road from Dothan to Egypt in chains and shackles had to hurt in so many levels. And yet God, through it all, He trusted in You. He remained faithful to You. And He is a reminder to all of us that if we will simply remain faithful to You, we will overcome whatever obstacles and challenges life will bring to us. Because one day, God, you and your word will be proven to be right and true. So God, help us to trust in that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.